Milwaukee's MX Fuel equipment system revolutionizes the light equipment market by delivering the performance and durability demanded by the trades. From the MX Fuel cutoff saw and MX Fuel sewer machine to the MX Fuel power supply and the MX Fuel tower light, MX Fuel has you covered without the hazards associated with emissions, noise, vibration, and the frustrations of petrol maintenance. MX Fuel, equipment system, equipment redefined. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Rick's. Rick's is an Australian lifestyle brand founded with a mission to transform the eyewear industry by creating carefully crafted eyewear that inspires confidence. Everybody should be able to enjoy a touch of luxury and the confidence it brings. See the world differently today. Head online now at rickseyewear.com.au and check it out. Righto, let's get into the show. Paddy Stein, Fort in the building. Welcome to American Aces, mate, and uh, thank you so much for your time. It's great to see you again. We know where we last caught up, and it was always it's always a great time. I've only known you for a short amount of time, but um, mate, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I've always wanted to do this with you after understanding your story over a few beers, but I wanted it in person, none of this Zoom call stuff, because yeah, I know where you live. Good to be here. So thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Let's just set the scene from the top. Everyone at the moment needs to. Uh, I just need to set the scene here. It's probably um, good because I'm not the same as some of the famous names you get on. We the get show. athletes, right? But you yeah. are an athlete. People, you know, even I was, I didn't even know this. We're having beers in Mexico and Vegas, only just recently doing a little bit of prep. I don't like to do too much because I'll ask it live. Um, but we we're talking about Patrick Mahomes in Mexico at JK and Kenzie's wedding and just talking about how you were working with him individually um, with what you do, which we're going to talk about in a second. Fast forward. I'm back here in Melbourne, Super Bowl day, watching the great man get to work. But I saw on LinkedIn an article come out and they talked about, you know, his mindset and, you know, things that he's developed and some great patterns of, you know, behavior that he's, you know, been instilled in his brain from so many coaches. But one in particular was you and he's named you in the lead up to the Super Bowl Um You've worked closely with Patrick. You've worked closely with the Sixers, the Blue Jays. You know, who, um, you're working with some other teams at the moment, which I'll get you to touch on. But just let's just start with Patrick Mahomes. Like, how cool was it a to work with him, but b for him to shout you out Super Bowl week? Yeah, that was pretty. Uh, it was definitely unexpected, and uh, and it was cool as a as a 18 year old, 16 year old, 14 year old. I loved NFL, and so and I used to sit on my parents' couch and and watch it at whatever time it was on, right, Super Bowl. And so to have that happen uh, was kind of surreal a little bit. Uh, it was also extra cool because I was with, I can't remember if it was the Socceroos or Matildas, which is one of the, the groups that I'm working with now. Um, uh, we were in camp and uh, and I knew the Super Bowl was on the next day, so I tried to block off some time in camp to be able to watch it. And this came through overnight. So my phone's blowing up and uh, it was – it was definitely a, a, a day to remember. Also, great to watch, watch him then go and win his second and win his second MVP and just a, a good day overall. You oh, know? mate, uh, it's it's awesome. It was awesome. And um, we're so lucky to see blokes like LeBron James and um, and Tom Brady and, and, and you can tell Patrick's that Mahomes is the next one coming through and he's only young and what he's done already. But for you to have worked with him, it's so cool. Uh, before I ask you what you were doing with him and, and what you've done, talk to everyone about what your role is and um, 
you know, what your LinkedIn profile would say about yourself. It's the easiest way to really ask LinkedIn someone. Profile, yeah. What's it say? Your it's, title? Well, it's, it probably makes me look better than I am. But uh, <laughs> they always do, don't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. That's the job of it, right? <laughs> yeah. um, it's the title is performance director. That's that's currently what it's listed as uh, at Football Australia. So that means with the Socceroos and the Matildas, um, and in particular in those roles, it's a much more almost like a borderline GM role because I'm managing the staff and the coaches that manage the players. So it's higher than I've been before, I guess, if you're looking at an org chart. Um, very, very cool challenge, very, very big challenge because we're battling against the likes of England and America and we don't have the same money or talent pool as them. So interesting challenges. But my job is to put, in those instances, to put the right pieces in place. In the other teams that I work with, either as a consultant or individually as part of some of the athletes' entourages. And name them. Name some of these places so people understand. Uh, so uh, I don't like name dropping. I know. I'm going to make you. You're going to force me. Um, I, uh, before I was at uh, the Socceroos, I was with the Red Sox in uh, Major League Baseball. Before that, I was with the Sixers in uh, the NBA. Before that, uh, I, I did some work at the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL, uh, Toronto Blue Jays you mentioned, and, uh, and worked with Pat at Texas Tech while he was in college. Um, and, uh, and all along there's, there's usually a couple of individual athletes or like consulting things in the background where it's what you see on entourage as an example, it's not a sports example, but some of the players, once they get their hundred million dollar contracts will build their own staff for themselves. And occasionally I've been a part of some of those setups. So, uh, it's been quite a, a variety and, and, uh, I think I'm up to 11 sports and counting now. So it's, it's quite different and usually in those roles it's been – I have a physio background so I'm a, I'm a qualified physio, did a master's in psychology and so it really ends up being what fits for those individuals or what's needed. So. And, and, a, uh, and, a, and a superstar Richmond Tiger growing superstar up. Superstar is a big stretch. <laughs> it I could have been anything though if it wasn't for injury. I love that story. It could have. But the, <laughs> the fact I had surgery every year for eight years in a row probably uh, put, it, put it to bed. Big fellas, they go down hard. Yeah. So you played for eight years? Uh, I played professionally for eight years, but I, I was with Richmond for five and then in the VFL Richmond for another couple and then went to Adelaide yep. for a couple after that. So it was a it was a longish career, but it wasn't what it looked like it was going to be when I was 17. Doesn't matter. Where Your career <laughs> right now is the coolest thing ever. Um, well, I'm thanks. actually, I'm, I'm due to, I'm going to visit Punt Road tomorrow to see, meet the team and oh, yeah. hang with some of the coaches. So it, just, it so, so happens that we're in like the neighbourhood and perfect timing. But I'm actually I realised the other day it's about 20 years since they cut me, and so it's and this is the first time I've gone back to the club awesome. in 20 years. So awesome. it's going to be very cool. I can finally go back and be like I've kind of moved on. I've I've, I've gone above Richmond. I've gone beyond. Well, I was a shell of a man at that point, so yeah, oh, mate, I feel good. When you get cut and you, you never lived your, you know, lived to your potential for injury or whatever, it's always hard to go back in the building. But, um, mate, as I said to you, we didn't really talk about anything besides just drinking piss and um and having a laugh in the pool listening did to brown dogs we did didn't we mm-hmm. um listen to brown dogs specials in the uh, water uh, <laughs> in the pool there in mexico but it was only till after when we you know that's the best thing about weddings and um destination weddings and, and bucks parties is you get to meet new people and yeah i was very fascinated about your role and um and what you've done so that's why i'm, I'm truly very excited to ask you all these things because they're so interesting when you're talking about the mind and how you can maximize athletes mm-hmm. performance and putting together culture um what is it that stands out 
when you when you've worked with you just named pretty much every sport. I know you've worked at AFL. You know, there's, there's another one. You've worked with male and female, you know, which is fantastic. What is it that stands out for you when you talk about character and blending in, you know, something special? What's that recipe that you that stands out? Jeez, great question. I thought we were just going to talk about fun stuff, mate. No, <laughs> no. This is fun. This we're going to get to Vegas later. Yeah, good, good. This is fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually. I find it fun. So that's that's uh, that's a cool thing is – me nerding out on some of this is really what I do every day and we're dealing with, you know, I was on a call with a coach earlier who has to cut a player going into the World Cup who is the centre of a team, right? And so that's a it's a different conversation than when you're in the NBA and you're talking about extending a player who is earning hundreds of millions and, you know, it's just fascinating the, some of the shit that we have to talk about, right? Yeah. But when it comes to um, – I'm buying time for your question, right, because I've, I've <laughs> given it thought, but I needed to just really get my head around. The the blending of either character and, and, like you said, I do – some of the other work that I do is about leadership and culture and team dynamics, I guess, is the nerdy way to say it, but how well a team works together. Um, and either on a team level or on an individual level, the thing that stands out is the people who can just be in the moment, like – you might have an asshole in the locker room and they're generally an asshole to everyone they work with or live with or whatever. But when it comes to doing their job, you can just be like, all right, let's be here and do the job. Now, usually that'll wear out, but you've seen great teams who might have some flawed characters on them. And you've also seen teams with amazing characters not be able to do their thing as well as possible. So whether it's at that team level or particularly on an individual level, those guys like Patrick being one of the ones that I've been blessed to cross paths with, um, it was clear early on that he was he was very good at being in the moment and just being real and authentic and and guys pick up guys feed off that. Yeah, it's great you said that. He looks like such a likable guy to be around. Is that something that you picked up straight away with him? Um, first of all, and second of all, his development from when you've when you work with him at Texas Tech to what you see now is there is there a huge improvement and have you seen some serious growth from you know the habits you've kind of te- taught him and other things that he's learned along the way there's definitely improvement like when he arrived at Texas Tech <clears throat> and the, the first year we were working together he wasn't um he wasn't even starting and he, I think he was a, a one star recruit so for <laughs> those who follow american sport um that's not good uh it's good because it means he got a scholarship offer but he only got one of them or maybe two right Crazy. Um, and so he was uh, – but it was very clear early on and the coach who uh, – Cliff Kingsbury was the coach there and he went on to coach with the Cardinals, just finished up there mm. actually back at USC now, I think. Is he? I didn't yeah. know where he was. Just 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 picked up there last week. Or the oh, week nice. Before. Back to college. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and LA, what a spot. I oh, know. <laughs> he, he looks like a, yeah, he yeah, enjoys a nice <laughs> luxury. Um, he uh, – so, so Patrick was, was the backup but – Cliff made it pretty clear early on, like, hey, this, this kid's good. Like, I went and scouted him. He, he was the one who basically convinced him to go to Texas Tech. Not hard when you didn't have other offers. But yeah. um, Patrick was a likable guy. Um, he also had pedigree. Like, his dad played MLB professionally in the infield for uh, 12 years or something. So he's lived, grown up around a locker room. Um, but obviously then from there, being a one-star recruit with not many offers to where he is now, massive improvement. And uh, it's cool that I can say I was a part of it. I'm not going to claim that I'm the reason um, because he is a driven guy. And one of the things that stood out early on was he would turn up 
if he was told to turn up, he would turn up. He would do if you put work in front of him, he'd do the work. And he was also, you know, open and willing to if he thinks this is going to help him get to where he wants to go, then then he'd dive right into it. It's impressive. What is it that you were teaching him, or things like you said? He was so good in the moment, but clearly you guys did some work together to you know improve something because he's out there quoting you all those years later in his second Super Bowl victory. What was it that you were going through? If you can talk about it, like what yeah. are the skills? Yeah, the skills, like we can definitely talk about the skills or, or some of the the tools that, that we, we work on, and this is Patrick or anyone else. Um, but the, you know, most of, I, I like to say that most of the stuff, if I'm doing work in that area with an athlete or with a team, it's usually not like I'm teaching new shit. Like you you already know from the times when either you're you're in competition and you had your best periods of like I was on fire in that few minutes or in that month or whatever it was, and you ask that person like what was it like for you, the answer is I, I don't know. I wasn't thinking. I was just doing my thing, right? And so when you actually help people recognize that it's not about thinking more and talking positive and feeling good, it's just – Okay, let's remove all that shit and just let you not think. And then when people recognize that, it's then a matter of saying, well, here's something that helps you not think sometimes. And if we do this thinking in advance, you don't have to think in the moment as much. Yeah. Um, so it's work, but usually once people latch onto it, like with Pat, he's able to say, what is it, six, seven years later, um, yeah, I'm still using that thing that, that we spoke about in, shit, 16? Crazy, yeah. man. So it's like those mental cues to block out the external noise and just stay present, essentially. A little bit. And also a way of, uh, uh, I guess, a framework for how, how we think. Because a lot of times um, as we grow up, and particularly traditionally, people will talk about, you know, be positive and self-talk and, you know, you got to feel good, look good, feel good, play good, all that sort of shit, uh, which I believed thoroughly when I was at Richmond. Maybe that was part of the problem. <laughs> um, and then they pay good, apparently. Yeah, well, yeah. And I managed to not get that last one. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, uh, the, the reality is that when, you know, if you talk to elite performers, and this is one of the great, I guess, discoveries that I had when I got thrown into the fire in America, I ended up working my first real job over there was with the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, I went along. I was trying to just get some data. I'd done some stuff, as you said, with uh, an AFL team, the Adelaide Crows. So I said, oh, I've done this with some AFL footballers. Will you let us have a go at your draft class? And and they were like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, okay, yeah, we'll let you in the back door and do it quietly. And Chip Kelly, who was the coach at the time, came in, sat in the back of the room and walked out afterwards. And by the end of that day, I had a job. He was like, oh, this, this is good shit. We're going to give it to the whole team. Yeah. And so then I've discovered that what I've learned that college and in the AFL, not, you know, not any playing the AFL down, but compared to the AFL, the NFL is a, is a very big beast with a lot more money and stakes um, and, and probably a little bit more cutthroat, right? They, oh, can, yeah. they can literally cut people in the middle of the season, not pay them. That's, mm. that's the stakes they're playing with. Um, but the ability to go in there and then we had the NFL's leading rusher in the room, two number one draft picks, a guy who's been an all-pro for 12 years, and what I discovered was that some of the stuff that I had learned at uni in uh, in psychology or I'd read in books, they were like, nah, this is bullshit, man. Like, I, I don't do that. And so I was like, okay, let, tell me more. And, and most of the time it ends up being whether it's those guys who are NFL all-stars or NBA number one picks or I've eventually been able to do some work with Navy SEALs and heart surgeons and at NASA, like it's been a ridiculous ride. And usually all these people who work in those very, very like critical 
environments where if you fuck up, someone dies. Am I allowed to say fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Someone dies or someone loses millions is that it's less about feeling good and thinking good. It's more about saying, okay, well, I don't feel good, but I'm going to do this thing even if I don't feel good. Or maybe I do feel good, but I still got to do this thing, right? And so that's where most of the work, Patrick included, ends up coming back to what's important in this moment. Um, Recognise how you feel. We're not going to say it's not good to, you know, I don't want you to feel shit all the time, but if you feel shit, can you still do this thing? All right, let's go do it. It's impressive. It's impressive. Like you just said earlier, like just rock up. And it's a bit like Patrick's performance. I mean, I know we're talking about Patrick Mahomes. We've got other athletes to talk about, but he's on one leg for the whole series. Right. And he's probably against Philly's Philly's team. Well, they broke the San Francisco quarterback the week before. Yeah. They, they, but their defense was like the best ever against passing. You know, mm-hmm. like they only gave up 260 yards or something combined over the two games they played. Patrick's got one leg and he's got some fierce blokes coming at him. He actually, by the way, his offensive line gave him plenty of time, which yeah. was amazing. But um, the way he just sling the ball and played, <laughs> a bit like what you just said there, they just just puts it all behind him. And well, it was it was amazing to watch. Like, it's a, it's it's cool. And and these are the, some of the this is, you know you mentioned names like Brady and um, uh, and Michael Jordan and Kobe. Like the reason these guys are so magnetic and people can't stop watching them. We're looking right now at Jimmy Butler blowing up in the playoffs, oh. right? Um, now I had Jimmy in the locker room. He was at Philly, Philly, wasn't he? Yeah, and uh, and he's a different cat, um, and not everyone's cup of tea. But you can definitely see why he's able to do what he did against. You know, they're playing the number one seed, right? Like no one has ever done that before in the history of the NBA. Well, sorry, in the history of the play-in, but to knock off Giannis as well, like it's not just any team. Yeah, it's in, it's one incredible. Of the favorites. And he just gets out there and puts in, what was it, 56 in 56 one game? 56 and then 42. Uh, they were down record. I think it was 16. They come back. He only played seven minutes in the last quarter. Right. I was watching it yesterday. I was like, this is fuck, this is unbelievable. Yeah, and he just turns it on. And, and so he's he's got this, I think he was even, he even said it in a presser, but he, he would say this when he was in Philly, like, I'll just do whatever it takes to win. And that means like sometimes it, it might look psychotic. Um, this is my words, not his. He might look like a psycho. He might say and do some things in a locker room that you're just like, whoa. But that's because it's unusual for people to be that committed and dedicated and able to just tune out like, normally, we'd like to get along here. We've started this interview. We wouldn't come in here and just say, tell me about your life, right? But he would do it because he's like, well, this is what we're here for. Go. He's intense. Yeah. Yeah. And straight to the point and what he's drip Like, it's like he wants it now. He he definitely, like, he has a desire that he's never won anything. College- or pros, um, and and he would openly say that he was potentially the cause of some of that disharmony in other places, but that's his way of saying, you know, and, and if you know his background as well, like Jimmy grew up in a place called Tomball, Texas, which is not a pretty part of Texas. There are some pretty parts. That's not one. His dad wasn't even there when he was born, and his mum left him when he was eight. Mm. So this is, a, this is a kid who's grown up being like, all right, if I don't fight, I'm, I'm going to die. And that translates in everything he does. He has a very, very tight circle around him. Some of the guys I worked with at Philly are now part of his crew. Um, when he sees people that he likes, he takes them with him. And clearly he didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, and so Jimmy has been able to fight and scrap his way from being at Marquette, which is not a big college, second round draft pick, behind other people at the Bulls, ends up becoming a starter, kicks on to another. Like he's he's been problematic to people who expect him to – be sensitive to things that everyone else is, but he's not. 
And so like with Pat, you were talking about this, how we got on there. I was trying to remember why we were talking about Jimmy because Pat has an ankle and he's also got all this expectation, but he's very good at saying, okay, I know the ankle's there, but thinking about it's not going to change it. Yeah. I know people expect me to win, but thinking about that's not going to change it. What's my job right now? And he, you know, he's talented. I think I might've helped him recognize that in himself. I didn't teach it to him. He's, he's Pat. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, two guys there. I mean, Jimmy Butler's a great story. Um, and, and, you know, the, the word him is now the trend, you know, everyone's him. Uh, I think Reeves was pumping out, I'm him. And Jimmy Butler certainly is him at the moment. Uh, if he goes all the way, he's forever him. Uh, what he's doing is inspiring and you can't not love. He just looks like a competitor. Mm-hmm. But I guess the next question I've got now off the top of that is, do you recognize blokes' upbringings and then tweak the way that you handle individuals with this stuff? Or is there a certain kind of, you know, as you said, the skills or whatever you said before, I can't remember what you said, but um, do you, is it kind of like a, not a template, but with someone like Jimmy, mm. are you sitting there going, I want to know a bit more about your story because you're a little bit different to someone else I've worked with before? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, intuitively, I reckon I'm like that anyway. I, I remember- <laughs> this is a weird left turn story, but we like weird. Yeah, well, all right. So I'm I might be early twenties, and uh, I'm with Richmond at the time, and I'm out drinking at some bar in Melbourne, and I've got a girlfriend at home, and this other girl's trying to hit on me, and the conversation turns to you know like I'm very gregarious here, and she's like, you shouldn't be doing that. You've got a girlfriend. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm in this situation. I'll do this, but down there, I'll be shy and quiet. Like I just I'll flex and I'll fit in. You might actually even hear. Occasionally I'll curl my iris because I'm a bit of an accent slut. When I'm talking to people, I'll actually <laughs> yeah, shake the way yeah. I talk a little bit. My, my brother hates it. but so what happens when you live I, in Brooklyn yeah, and wherever exactly, you've been living. Exactly. Um, and so this is something that I think I naturally do, but definitely when it comes to engaging with athletes, like even when I was in the AFL before I'd formally studied psych, uh, sorry, coaching in the AFL, doing work at Adelaide, handling Ben Rutten was different than handling Bernie Vince. And handling Paddy Dangerfield, who doesn't drink, is different than handling Taylor Walker, who does drink <laughs> during games. No. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you got to take people who they are. And, and as I went and then did formal studies in, in psych in America and, and particularly going down a rabbit hole, there's a – for all the nerds, all right, so if you want to fast forward about 10, 20 seconds, <laughs> you can skip this. But contextual behavioral science is, a, is an actual – scientific field with reprodu- reproducible results that talks about personality is not fixed. So you and I, when we were in a pool in Vegas, <laughs> are very different dudes than when we are sitting here right now in <laughs> yeah. this studio. Give it a couple of hours, a few beers, but who knows? <laughs> well, we did have beers. Right? Uh, They've the, the exploded all over the roller media van and Braden's filthy. If only there was smell in the, <laughs> yeah. in, in the scenario here. But that's, that's a proven thing is that our personalities aren't based on like you are this person. It's when you go to work, you tweak it a little bit. When you go home, you, you move a little bit. There are some people who are fantastically consistent uh, and there are others who are like absolute chameleons and you can't work out who they are, but most of us are somewhere in between and that's what you've got to be wary of when you're – or not wary, you've got to be aware of and you've got to be um, – you've got to allow for that is that when I'm working with this guy in this context, I'm a white guy with a weird accent who who is working with a black guy in the NBA and there's all sorts of dynamics around that in their country and in their industry. And I can't just wa- walk in and think I'm going to get the same reception as I got when I am in an AFL team. I didn't play very well, but I, I, I trained for a while. 
right? And I, I, I've had surgery and I know what it's like. Yeah. He's going to look at me and be like, oh, here we go, another white guy, right? And so I've got to be, I've got to be cognizant of that. And then not only is it, is it uh, important to keep that in front of mind, you've got to also then you learn th- things about people as you go, you know. I didn't realise you were a smart intellectual dude when I was just hearing the first <laughs> stories of the first night at the uh, – at the, at the wedding, which I'm like, oh, this guy. <laughs> which we won't get into. <laughs> yeah, no, it's well said and you're spot on. It's uh, there's so many, Everyone's so different. And that's what I was thinking. Like when you're working with people so closely, you, 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 everything would be, I mean, be, every day would be so different. I'd imagine, like you just said, you're talking about cutting blokes and making sure the coach says the right thing so that the outcome is perfect in what can be as good as it can, even though it's a tough situation. And, and then you're dealing with the likes of a Jimmy Buck who's which he you just said he's upbringing that is like that is that makes me love him even more how hard he's had to fight to get to where he is versus someone else that might have had it you know a bit easier and you've you've trained them but they're at the end of the day you're, you're trying to teach them the same thing um it's so impressive mate the, the next question i've got is that's probably a, a little bit to what you just said there how did you go with the culture because like we laugh like we i was in a i got a few whatsapp groups with nfl on it today and some of the comments are like, oh, imagine like, like just the carry on, right? Is it's just like, have a go. Like I think one guy come out and said, let's go, baby. Let's get paid. Like, <laughs> can you imagine the, the number? Draft. Yeah. The AFL draft, like, you know, the cultures were very different. Right. Um, and it would just never happen, but you, you're putting yourself in, in America um, at the moment, you know, the way I'm thinking about it. So NBA and NFL especially because I love these two sports. And you're trying to learn a little bit about their culture but also teach them things that you've been employed to do. Mm-hmm. How long does it take you to start, you know, slapping up with the boys? Well, well firstly, it's dapping up, not slapping dapping up. Dapping up. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't start with that. Like, you don't know whether you're doing them ones or the, just these ones. Thankfully, COVID put an end to some of the awkwardness because you just do this one straight <laughs> yeah. away. Um but the uh, my my education on that started well, well early, like when I was at Richmond, right? So I was a pretty confident dude and I'd grown up without too many problems in my childhood and was never exposed to getting in fights because I was six foot six and most people wouldn't take me on. And then I get to Richmond, uh, I'm drafted in the first round, I'm fucking high as a kite because this is the team I've always barracked for, this is great. And then um, someone asks me in an in a interview like that week, how are you going to go when you play your brother? in Geelong because my older brother was playing in Geelong at the time. I'm like, oh, no, it'll be good, you know, be like in the backyard, but if I finally get to prove that I'm better than him. And this is just me being a smart ass, right? Yeah, having some fun. Now, he kind of knows that that's who I am. He's grown up with me. His entire team doesn't know, and so we play them in the preseason. Their coach plays that interview in their pre-match meeting. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> I get pummeled. <laughs> Both by, he, he gets me after. He's like, don't. Like, like he was angry. Obviously, yeah. Because he goes, why, firstly, why would you say it? Secondly, now I've got to go punch you on the field. <laughs> and thirdly, I got physically pummeled because the whole team was in me the whole day, right? And so I was like, all right, that's not great. But I also was confident going into an AFL locker room, and had Benny Gale yank my chain a couple of times, being like, "Hey, young fella, pull your head in, like, slow your roll." And and there are, I was unaware, right? I was just happy to be at the club that I barracked for and it was all it wasn't arrogance it was probably insecurity if anything yeah and so I learned to modulate my behavior there so I could fit in and thankfully that paid dividends when I'm in America I'm like hey don't come in here and be whoever you might have been at the Adelaide Crows because these guys are they don't give a shit who you are 
And you just got to learn a little bit, watch and learn. And I was probably too cautious at that point because I remember one of the um, the guy who actually did the strip sack on Tom Brady to win the Super Bowl when Philly won it um, a few years ago, um, Brandon Graham, is fantastic dude, one of the nicest dudes, and he's a leader of their defense. And uh, and I'm catching up with him in like week one or week two, and I know that he owns the locker room to a degree, right? If I win him over, I'm, I'm going to be good. And I'm like a little bit nervous. And- I, I, I'm nervous. I'm not showing it. I'm decent at poker, but I know inside I'm raging. I'm like, yeah, man, uh, you want to catch, you said you want to catch up after that session, right? I'm doing the first hour of every day was me on a stage with the whole team. And occasionally I'd get a couple of plays, be like, hey, I like what you're talking about there. Let's catch up. So he, he's one of them in week two. And I catch him after training as he's walking off with his pads and he's sweating. I'm like, yo, you still want to catch up tomorrow? He goes, yeah, yeah. And he, so I've got training, I've got massage, i got the gym. Maybe we can do three o'clock. And I'm like, all right, three o'clock, bet. And I dap him up and I turn around and I walk away. And I know, like, I know that phrase partly because guys are saying it, but also it was a line in a rap song that I liked when I was 13. Because <laughs> if you ask anyone, when I was a teenager, I was like, <laughs> I wanted to be American. There was actually, Rory Hilton used to actually call me, uh, say that I wanted to be American. So maybe that's why I ended up there. I think we all do. <laughs> and, um, and so I had said to this 250 pound professional athlete, I bet, dapped him up and walked away. And as I'm, I turn around, I walk away. I'm like, yeah. like I say to myself, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Oh my God, it's so cringeworthy. And I spend that whole night, I tell my girlfriend at the time, like, I said this. She's like, no, she's American. So yeah, she's yeah, like, no, uh, you've screwed it. And I catch him the next day and we sit down. I'm like, look, hey, I, I'm really, I just want to start before we get into the topic. I just want to say, I apologize if like the way I came off yesterday was like, whatever, and a cultural appropriation. Or and he goes, yo, 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 relax, relax, man, relax. Real recognize real. Like, you're a good dude. We know you're a good dude. You ain't here to, fuck with nobody so you, you just do you and it was like ah oh, okay I can breathe like yeah. that, that's the big thing about fitting in in any particularly these places if they know you're not there to get ahead or you're like the GM's guy who's a spy inside mm. particularly it probably was helpful for me that I had no background in America and and I didn't have a, a lineage that I came from and I wasn't part of the white establishment in America like I'm just a different guy and they were able to see hopefully an authentic dude who was just there to help. So it definitely was a challenge. It was a roller coaster and I was nervous a lot, but eventually, you know, if you're a good bloke, it usually works out. It does. And you are a good bloke and and it has worked out. You, but like doing what you're doing, so it's, this is what I mean, mate. Like it's so impressive getting in front of a group of people, you get nervous naturally. Um, and there's so much respect for anyone that's out there that does do public speaking and actually gets out what they're trying to, you know, think about and say, um, when you're in front of these groups of, especially for me, I'm a massive NFL fan, obviously NBA as well, but it's a smaller locker room. But NFL, it's a massive locker room. There's a lot of egos. There's a lot of money, a lot of power. And as, as you said, there's probably a few trust issues with, with you know, blokes on one-year deals and not, you know, con- guaranteed money is only for the guns. We know that some blokes are earning every paycheck, every catch and every reception and every ga- every match, right? So there's just so much going on. Um, but when you come in and you're doing your one-hour presentations with the whole group, like how much preparation goes into that just one day? And then are you like, like how, you know, how do you feel? You know, how do you execute your role at these big organizations and do it so well. Like it must be, it must take a lot. 
It, it, I mean, nowadays I feel like I've probably reached my 10,000 hours of like I've done this enough that if you say tomorrow you're going in, like I'm just turning up to hang out at Richmond tomorrow, but if they were like, hey, can you give us a 20-minute whatever, maybe I'd go okay. I'd be able to pull you something well. out my you're ass, right? nice. You'd be able to pull it out. I'd be able to pull something out. But uh, that's because, firstly, I got cut from the AFL before I wanted and I was I ended up doing – I was injured for – more than half of my career. And so a lot of time while I was injured, I'd go out and do school programs. And I ended up facilitating and speaking when I'm 22, 23. I end up working, you know, people might have heard of the leading teams group yep. here. I was lucky enough to be in the right spot and they sent me to New Zealand to run their business in New Zealand. I'm working with the All Blacks and New Zealand Cricket and New Zealand Breakers when I'm 26, 27 years old. I'm running those programs. So I got a head start because my football career went shit. So that was helpful. Um I'm not shy, so that was also helpful. And then things happen where, like, you have an op- you have the chance to be like, all right, I've got to be perfect and maybe that's too much or shit, let's ride with it. Like, coming into Philly was a huge learning curve, partly because of the culture in the locker room, partly because it was my first job and I'm like, oh, shit, I might have to go home if this doesn't work. And But also there was a couple of turning points where one of them was they actually – after their off-season workouts, which in, in NFL they do a – they're in it right now, the optional training activities, which is um, – there's a series of compulsory days that they spread out over a space of about two months. And I did that for them. This is what Chip hired me to do with the full team. And at the end of that, they were like, all right, do you want to come back and do full training camp? And in training camp, that means like 40 days back-to-back, no days off, boom, 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 boom. We're installing the whole thing and they slowly cut the team. 40 days. 40 days is brutal. And NFL environment is not a good like, you know, think about all the conditions they have in the AFL right now about you've got to have a day off here and a half a day there and you can only start and finish here. NFL, I was in the building at five, out of the building at seven, and I don't mean two hours later. I mean like 14 hours later and that was 40 days in a row. And then the kicker was – before we got to that point, they were like, oh, so we're going to pay you to go to the military, go to the Navy, go to the US Olympic, go wherever you want to go to find the best mental program. You design what you think we should do. Come back, we'll do it. And I was like, how good's this? I've just left the AFL and all of a sudden I'm designing a program for you. Ah, perfect. So I go to all these places, West Point Military Academy, Navy SEALs, um, the US uh, Red Bull, you know, all these places. And I come back and I'm like, hey, here's this program. Um, think it's the best we can do. And it had like, you know, I'll do a day here and I'll do some smaller groups here, kind of based on what I'd already done. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we thank you for, you sent that through a couple of days ago. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not sure you read it because you didn't get back to me. They go, yeah, well, we didn't get back to you because we're not going to do that. Um, Chip wants you to do the first hour of every day of training camp. And I was like, I don't think that's the right thing to do. There are multi-millionaires who've done this for 12 years who'll be looking at me going like, what the fuck do you know? And, uh, and they're like, yep, we probably agree, but this is what Chip wants. So, you know, they didn't say it, but they said, in, in effect, if you want to work in the NFL, you will do this. Otherwise, thanks for coming. So I, had, I was like, <laughs> all right, I'll do it. <laughs> and so then the next uh, 40 days, I had about, you know, it, based on the plan I'd done, I had about six or eight days of material, which I burnt in the first week. Yeah, of course. And then press. And then I was going home every night and at, so, you know, 5 a.m. till 7 p.m., I'd go home, slam dinner on my mouth while I designed another session and I went back to work. Crazy, man. Did it for 40 days. So that was, that was the, uh, you know, jump in the fire and 
sink or swim. So I managed to keep my head afloat and then and then, you know, kick on to another one and do it again and do it again. It's reps. It is reps and it's some serious reps. I've got so many questions. Let's stay here for a second. You just said you used all your material up. I don't want you to share IP that you can't on this podcast because it's your work. But if you can share an insight to what are you talking about for one hour, right, for the week, let alone 40 days, is it a consistent thing that you're talking about? Are you identifying great acts of leadership or are you trying to break down conversations that aren't happening so that when they do happen, everyone can get on the same page? What is your sessions <laughs> involving? Because I know for a fact when, when I was at a footy club, like leadership teams coming in, we were kind of like, oh, here we go again. Unless it was impactful. We'd be like, you know, your eyes are glued, you're locked in. Um, you know, uh, some of it you disagree with, you're breaking down teammates in front of people that can impact the way they play. And mm-hmm. it's not a serious enough business, I don't think, for AFL to tell people like what they're doing off field should be better when it's like it could impact a decision later yeah, on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we don't want to be turning on each other. Um, so like I'm just spitting out ideas here, but – one hour session's a long time. How mm-hmm. did you have these guys glued to you? That's exactly what I was saying in my head. Yeah, I'm like, I know, yeah. Wheels are spinning, right? Uh, well, eventually I got. I was like, all right, well, this is. I've, I've got these sessions that I ran. They were based on training that the U.S. Army did. Um, in they they called it master resilience training. I stole some of it, did it with the crows when I was there, and the guys I adapted some of these exercises for had career seasons, and and you know talking like Paddy Dangerfield, Bernie Vince. Um, Rory Sloan, this is as they were coming up in the team. And so I'm like, oh, I think this works. Let's try this over here. And But then I was doing it with 100 people instead of a group of six, right? So it, the dynamics totally changed. I still tried to use some of those exercises. And as an example, there's there's probably two fields of psychology. Again, we're going to nerd out here. No, nah, nerd out, nerd out. One of which is called cognitive behavioral therapy. That's very much the, you know, you can control your thoughts, which control your feelings, which then lead to actions. And the other is acceptance commitment therapy, which is I can't do any shit about it. If I feel angry, I feel angry. Like, But trying to control it is whatever. Just recognize you feel angry and then act the way you think you should act, not the way the anger wants you to act, right, or nerves or whatever. And so there are some proven exercises from this field, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is very much where the military one came from, that were about, you know, recognizing when your thoughts spiraling down, which I'd already done with some of the AFL boys. So we'd do that. We'd talk about when you have a bad day, like what happens? You're throwing an interception, Sam Bradford. What what do you what do you think? Where does your mind go? Um, and that was that was fascinating to watch how a quarterback would handle throwing an interception versus a running back would handle fumbling the ball. Same effectively the same mistake. Either position-wise, there was a little bit of a trend, or even just individuals. Some of them are just like, whatever, give me the ball again. And others are like, holy shit, they're going to yank me, I'm shit, mum will hate me, right? They'd go real far. Yeah. And so it's about helping the group recognise that these are processes that we all have, and then what's your trick going to be to get out of it? Because that's it's not like there's a one-size-fits-all. Mm. It's in times when you've been able to get out of that, what would you do? All right, well, why don't we do that again next time and see what happens? And it's really just about exploring each person's path back to the present and being their best. And and you're doing that with so like you're doing that in like the whole group. So that was like, in hundreds. So I think we had ninety odd players in the training squad at that point, plus the twenty odd coaching staff. Oh, so coaching staffs in the room. Yeah, because they're they're the ones eventually, particularly on the sideline. Like I, I only get sideline, or in baseball, I'd be in the dugout. Um, basketball, I depending on the game, whether we're on the road or away, the benches were, were tight, and so I might not be there sometimes. And uh, football, as an example, I'm not on the bench with the Socceroos while the game's happening. I'm, I'm backstage or upstairs. 
And so the people who are actually there in the heat have got to be able to understand these concepts yeah, too. Yeah, so the coaches need to understand how they're thinking, therefore they can not yell at them if they don't like to be yelled right. at or whatever, or just to learn a bit more about it. It's a shared them. language as well is being able to understand that like yelling at someone, you know, play hard, what the fuck does that do? That doesn't help anyone. Yeah. Tell him what, what he needs to turn his attention to. And that's probably the other field is like some of the stuff that we – teach is really just about helping people recognize this is how your brain works and intuitively you know it. So like the one that Pat quoted in his, uh, when he mentioned me in the Super Bowl article is one of the simplest, but it's, it's very, as soon as you, I'll walk you through it right now, right? Cause there's this perception that like people like Pat have an amazing brain that can handle all of the things that are in front of him on a football field, which is true. He is very talented and possibly blessed in that area. However, there's probably only, based on all the research that there's been done in neuroscience, there's probably only six things that he can have in his conscious awareness at one time. Dumbasses might be four. Let's say you and I are in the middle, right? We're a five. So there's five things you can have in your attention. One is my, what I'm saying and, and my voice. Two is you might be aware of the producer who's taking a camera yep, shot right now. right now. Yeah, smile, yeah, smile. There you go. <laughs> Three is uh, you might be thinking about the rain outside. Four is the beers and five is what am I having for dinner tonight, right? But the, that means you can't think about how your left foot feels. And as soon as you think about your left foot, you've forgotten about item number two. Yeah, you knock something off the perch. And yeah. so it just it's, it's one thing in, one thing out. And so eventually once you understand that model, you're able to realise, okay, if I'm thinking about whether dad likes me or not after, as a result of this play, it's probably not helpful. It doesn't help me do this thing that maybe it does help dad like me, but thinking about it's not going to help. And so then to create a little list of what do I need to focus on and it becomes that's your shortcut. As soon as you recognise you've got things in here that aren't helpful, like the producer or the rain or the beers, mm-hmm. then I've got to be disciplined and say, no, no, when I'm doing this thing, I've got to bring my attention back to here. It's, it, it, it makes – you know, this is inc- – I, mean, I wish I had – we do have it when you're playing, but I never heard it like that, you know, and even reading the article, you don't – understand it is it makes a lot of sense and even with life you know you might have your mates texting you and you're talking about that and you got to do something at work and you you got something on the to-do list and all of a sudden someone's calling you and then one more one more thing happens and you've forgotten to get what back was I talking about? yeah what was yeah because yeah, it, it makes sense because yeah. you're i mean maybe i'm at the four <laughs> i can only handle four things. hey sometimes I people like, wish they were at the yeah, four yeah, no, I, I think i can handle a few but you're definitely not it just makes a lot of sense like i'm picturing if i was a quarterback you know if you're trying to read the cut like, you know you got the corners, you got the iron, you have play call, whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it only matters, you know, one more thing that goes through and you can imagine that's just that mistake that they make. Right. So, and, that's, and that's the the ability and, and also accepting I make mistakes. Like you cannot play perfect football, basketball, whatever, podcasting. And when you make a mistake, you, you're not trying to relitigate it or try and find a new solution. You're like, occasionally I will throw interceptions. I'm going to accept that that one was one of those ones. Let's just get back and keep doing the thing. If I throw three in one game, maybe I've got to make an adjustment, right? Yep. But generally speaking, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we make a mistake. And their ability to be, and your ability to be here right now and, and say, oh, okay, oh, I've picked that thing up. I'm going to go with that. Mm. Have you ever seen a guy called Harry Mack, freestyler on like Instagram, YouTube, whatever? Nah. Um, this guy produces none. He yeah. knows. The panels, man. He's yeah, all over yeah, it, Braden. And so Harry Mack is like, he explained it. Uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you're not familiar, look him up, Harry Mack uh, on YouTube or Instagram. He's basically, he basically just walks around and freestyles and he asks people to give him three words. Or the, I, I think I have seen this guy. He did it with the MLB crew the other day, the, the broadcast crew, and he had 12 different words. 
just remembers them like this. And, and he goes around each person and then he does a verse here, sorry, a, a four bars here, four bars there and, and did them all. And it's, it's phenomenal, particularly if you're like a hip-hop fan, but even not, you're just like, wow, this is pretty impressive. And he describes it as I'm just ad-libbing the same way we have a conversation. Like I've practised a lot so I know this word rhymes with that word. But generally speaking, when you give me that word and I come up with a second word, it's like when I say, hey, how you doing? You say, good, thank you. Or you could have said, I'm okay. And either way, I have to take one of those things and run with it. And it's a, it's a little bit of back and forth. And I think that's, I'm rambling a bit. That's nah, good. But you're doing it yourself every time you do this show, right? Or every time you're having breakfast with a, with a, a hot date, you're Jeez, actually doing the game. What, I wouldn't know what that's like. <laughs> Dry as a bone. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's, it's just, are you, were you amazed that the head coaches, or not even the head coaches, there's that many coaches, mm. and I stick to NFL because I've got this visualisation of you in front of 120 coaches, 90 players or something, right? Um, were you amazed that, what you were teaching the group was really like you were really educating the coaches. Were they like, this is groundbreaking stuff. This is fantastic. They hadn't heard of it before. Like, was it really new to them? No, I could, I could say that, but the, the reality is that even in the playing group, right. And, and even probably some of your listeners here rolling their eyes and they've already turned off. Cause it's like, ah, oh, this bloody psycho <laughs> babble bullshit. If you're good, you're good. Right. And some of the coaches are like that. Some of the players are like that. It's not, never do I walk in a room and expect that everyone's going to be like, Oh, how good is this? And so with the coaches, there are some who are actively against it because either they're used to being the guy who does the mental stuff or it, it strongly conflicts with what I was taught by my dad when I'm growing up is you don't talk about your feelings and you just fucking get it done. I'm like, well, technically that's what I'm teaching here, <laughs> yeah. but, but there are different ways about it, right? And so, yeah, there are some who were, were all about it and there are others who are like, oh, whatever, I've got plays to design. Can we hurry the clock up? Yeah. And again, you just got to work with what's in front of you. Yeah, mate, well done. Do you think if I was to compare baseball – um, let's just stick with America, baseball, NFL, and NBA. Those three sports, are they, what was the hardest? Baseball. Is that yeah. because you don't know enough about the sport or just the way it's run? No, it's good. I, I, would, I would equate it to like, um, so I worked in cricket, um, international cricket, and, and one of the first things, so I'm with New Zealand, right? Dan Vittori, all-time great, yep. captain at the time, Um I fly in from New Zealand. They're already on tour and I fly in to meet them in Bangladesh and it takes 36 hours to go from New Zealand to Australia to Thailand to Bangladesh uh, and I'm wrecked. I'm, at this stage, my career is not going well enough that they fly me business class. So <laughs> I'm a six foot six guy folded up in- Oh yeah, the big guys for economy flights. Wow. Three maybe. Anyway, it was fucking long. It was long. It was tough and I'm not good with- I'm, I'm good now because I do it all the time, but I'm not good with changing time zones back then. And I land uh, at like 8 a.m. I turn up at 10 a.m., game starts at 11. And I'm out there as they're warming up and Dan's, uh, hey, hey, how you doing, man? He's used to it, obviously. Uh, and I'm like, oh, good, good. I'm, I'm ready to go, you know, positive. I'm, I'm ready up. to go. I'll get, just get some coffee in him. He goes, oh, well, good. It, it, now, you'll find that when you're working in cricket, there's there's two types of people this game suits and if you're not one of them, woof, good luck. And I'm like, oh, yeah, what's that? The old two types of people trick. And he goes, well, either people who think a lot because you've got to keep yourself busy the whole time, you've got to ball to ball, what happened here? What was he trying to do? What am I going to do next? And, and, you know, the commentators, they can make conversation out of anything, right? Or you just don't think at all. You're a, you're a guy who just gets out there and you can just have zero in your head for two hours and you're happy as a pig in shit. And I'm like, okay. 
I'm hoping I'm the former because I know I know I'm not the latter. I wish, but I'm hoping I'm the former. And it turns out I wasn't neurotic enough to be entertained for six hours of. <laughs> it was a, it was a test match day one against Bangladesh. The run rate I think was point eight or one point two oh or something. God. And I had never been to the cricket without drinking a beer. Uh, or stayed for an entire day of the cricket. So I'm sitting in the locker room with the cricket team and they're just and it was just like pulling teeth for me. Uh, I'm not hungover, uh, jet lagged, not interested in the game, not really into cricket, and also just trying to get my head around a new job ruined me. But it was also the culture of that team was very much well, sorry, not that team, the sport. They explained it to me as Brendan McCullum would say Cricket is like a group of individuals playing a team sport because when it's you and the bowler, it's just like your teammates don't matter. They can't help you. Yeah. And if you get it wrong, it's on you. And if you get it right, it's on you. And so that was their approach and that definitely was the reason I'm talking about cricket when you asked about baseball is because that was true as well. And so occasionally you'll have a guy who is like an absolute – so Curtis Granison who's on TV now with ESPN, I think, probably one of the nicest, most down-to-earth humans I've ever met within sport. He played for 14 years maybe at all the major franchises. Legend. But super, super eloquent, very switched on, very self-aware, very helpful to other people. And then I've had, you know, first-round draft picks, an MVP, a couple of other people, and all of them are on a spectrum of get the fuck out of my way because I'm here to earn millions and you might fuck it up to, oh, my God, please help me. I can't do this and everything in between. But – the dynamics of the situation mean that you've got to walk through with all these individuals and you don't get a group who are working on the same thing. Yeah, now I get you. Yeah, yeah, they're Plus, all so different. They play every night, 160 games in 180 days. It's bonkers. Oh, and, you, and you were there with the Blue Jays and all these other Red Sox. You were there every day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, eventually with the Red Sox, as I said before, I, you know, eventually you get moved up to business class and eventually you get to a point in my kind of roles where – you might be able to say, I'm only going to do home games or I'll be with you for the major series, right? So with the Red Sox, I'd, I'd kind of gotten into that territory. That's awesome. But the Blue Jays, I did the, the whole thing nonstop, basically. Like maybe I would have two days off a month, but that would be go home, sleep, or go home, get drunk, and then go again. It's a, gen- it's a genuine – it's just so different over there, isn't it? Do they work harder? Uh, or, do they, or is it just – Maybe nah, nah. Uh, it's definitely work harder. Like, yeah, they, and it's not smart. I'm not saying it's the way. Yeah, to do that's it. what I mean. It's like longer and yeah. yeah it's, but they're not. They're not like they get paid it's not, more as well, don't they? Exactly. Like it's, it's, it's like it's not make work where they're like turning up and just pretending to write emails. There, you go to work, you do batting practice, you warm up, and then there's a game, and then you go home that night. Or if you're getting on the plane, you might go from Toronto to LA. It's a six hour flight. Land at four a.m. Go to bed. Get up and play again at 12 the next day. Like it's it's absurd mm. and it is very bad for people's health and well-being. But they made that, the Players Association explicitly made that choice that if we can play 160 games, that means the payback is like this. That's why they get paid so much more and money. So, yeah. And so that's the highest paid sport per um, season but not per minute worked. Yeah. Whereas the NBA have it right. Like they have a lot of games, but their practices are relatively short because they play every two or three days. Sometimes you won't practice for a week. You just mm. turn up, warm up and play. And that's, you know, it's got its own foibles as well because when you're not practicing, you feel like you might be able to go out. And 
Yeah, yeah, I've seen a few of them. Yeah, when I first went to America, you know, when you do something the first time, it's always eye-opening and so big and so cool. Um, It always is cool, but the first time for anything is special. Remember, we went out in New York and um, J.R. Smith smoking a doobie next to me, and I'm like. Are you, and then I think, yeah, like next to me, like it's, like, I'm like, is that J.R. Smith? And then, you know, then I, was, I think there was someone else there. I think it was someone knowledge. Was that before the game, the one where he looked like he was like nah, on, was on nah, the bench? That was after the game. <laughs> it was after the game. But I was just like, that's J.R. Smith, you know, and you're thinking, and when you're a fan of the game, you're like, they just played tonight. They're playing Playing tomorrow, <laughs> it's like, geez, it might get on the uh, get on the other team here. But it, they're, well, they're, fun fact for you and the listeners: if you're a betting person, I'm not, but I know this is uh, yeah, we all love a bet. This yeah, has apparently got some validity to it. Um, look for the teams who are traveling into major cities, particularly if they're coming from Oklahoma City or something like that. And if they have young fellows on the list, they're less likely to beat the betting line because when you land in those cities. Vamoose straight to the nightclubs. Oh, there you go. And uh, and the next day they're a little bit scratchy. <laughs> I find it amazing that they can. Oh, I guess I've never played any other sport besides AFL, but um, NBA oh, basketball is hard. Like when I play, when you, you know, you'll go down the street and you might play ball and you're up and down for fifteen minutes and you just blow on your legs, feel like jelly. Right, it's a different different kind of game. I find it amazing they can get on the terps and then roll out to an NBA game where you kind of need your, your hand-eye coordination to be kind of spot on, yeah. and they get it done. But most of them get it done. I mean, think about it, think about it like this. Where, like, How old were you when you stopped playing? Uh, AFL, mm. 27, 8. Right. So by the time you get past about 22, 23, your body isn't the same. You're stronger, but you also feel aches and pains more. You might get more tired, travel, get you a bit more. And occasionally you might use caffeine, right? Give me some no-dos. Like I need – I'm just going to try and get over the line today and we'll do the next one tomorrow. Baseball did teach me one thing, that substances are vital to do high-level performance, particularly if it's at that extreme. Like these guys will jack themselves up on coffee every night and then sleeping tablets to get them through to the next day and then they do it all again and they do that for six months. It's very unhealthy. Yeah. But – that's their coping mechanism and it actually works because they go out and produce performances that only 10 other humans on earth can do. And NBA, they probably don't use it as much in terms of stimulants and I'm, I'm meaning legal stimulants, just yeah. to be really clear, lawyers. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the, the uh, you know, the use of caffeine, the use of the sugar, whatever they are. The, yeah, you know, the gels. The gels. The, um, what are the chewing gum with caffeine, like military yep. gum, all that kind yep. of stuff. Some of them use these little dip packets where yep. they've got either nicotine or whatever in them. Like it's legal, and but I wouldn't advise it unless – I'm turning up to a game where if I play well in this game and I'm on a contract year and it's against this team where they're trying to weigh up whether they should trade for this guy or keep me, uh, give me the extra shot of caffeine. Like, I've got to get it done. Yeah. And so th- there, are, there are ways and means of making it happen. And, this, and it actually becomes a game of rather than – and I know in the AFL in particular, sports science has a very strong hand, rightfully so, because it's probably the most physically demanding team sport getting around. Maybe ice hockey's up there. Um, but the, it's probably over-indexed here where there's a, you know, Dane Swan proved that you don't have to be mad about your body and your fitness mm. to be one of the best players in the world. And in America, that's a little more accepted because they've got a history of guys who are just like, yeah, I'll, I'll just do it. Don't tell me how to eat. As long as I turn up and get the job done, yeah. I'm good. Dennis Rodman style. D-Rod. It's, uh, and have you seen that when, you're, when you've been at NBA franchises? 
um, especially the Sixers. But did you see blokes? You could clearly see, I know you were out last night and then a flop or get it done. Uh, yes. And when Usually flop, the second. Get it done. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. when and it, so, so there's no like questioning from the coach to them saying, well, I know you were out last night or they wouldn't know. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's happened. It's gone both ways. But I have better and more memorable stories of, of knowing, like I might have gone out because I don't have to play basketball the next day. Yeah, you're just chilling. And I'm in LA and I have friends in LA, so out I go. And, um, and I'm hanging out with JK actually and then we see a player on my team and we're like, yo, I'm going to have to turn the other way, but bro, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, but. And then the <laughs> next hush, hush. day, yeah. So, so the next day, and I'm like, oh, cool. This is actually going to be a good conversation starter for me to actually, because he's got a couple of things we need to address. But we're playing the Lakers tomorrow, so let's leave it be. And then dude turns up, looks bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in the morning. I'm like, oh, well done. Uh, and then goes back to the hotel. I know that he sleeps for a few hours between the shoot-around and the game, and then he comes out and he does his job. And not only does his job, he shuts down the person he's supposed to shut down. So yeah. There's like it, it it is possible, and that was you know I was very bit like when when I was talking about the mindset stuff before about trying to think so much about being perfect and stuff in the AFL. I was I was very very anal and attentive to all my eating habits and all my sleeping. Yeah. I was just so I gave up front row seats to Eminem because it was three days before a game. Oh wow, what a wanker! <laughs> And that was the, that was my last year. I got cut that year, and I, was, <laughs> yeah. I look back. I'm, I gave him the Andy Cracker, and uh, I can't remember who else. And I'm like, "Yo, I had these tickets, but I'm I'm so close to getting picked here, and I can't risk it." Yeah. And and I look back now, and I'm like, "What a wanker!" But in saying that, it's it's like you always look back and go, "Oh, but what if I did something differently?" So you you know you yeah. you you're like, "What a wanker!" But I gave myself every chance. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you might have went there and they could have said, that's why. And you go, oh, fuck. So no, but I get it. I get it. You overthink preparation when it really, as you know, like the swans of the world and there's plenty of players out there we know, they just get it done. And that's, that's the other thing that baseball, definitely I learned because I had to do it as a coach, is there were days where I would just be like, nah, I'm about to quit. Like I can't. I, this is my X number. I lost count of the days I'd worked in a row. I haven't seen friends for a while. I haven't been home in two years because I was trying to get a green card. And I'm just like, I, I can't be bothered with this wanker who gives me nothing anyway. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, but I, I got to do it. Like, oh, I want to be here. I want to be good. I want to help these people. So I'm going to just front up more coffee, more, you know. Whatever it takes. Sleep harder, yeah. get a nap in the equipment room. Like, whatever you got to do. And th those athletes in particular taught me that, if they taught me anything, they taught me that you don't have to feel good to do good. And that's the separator, I think, getting back to your first question, what's the thing that puts people apart? It's, there are some who are like they want to feel good and they pump themselves up and they're very good at it. But for the most part, you look at a Kobe Bryant, you look at a Michael Jordan, like the flu game is the best example ever, Michael Jordan flu game. He turned up having vomited and depending on who you talk to about the stories beforehand, maybe he didn't have the flu, maybe there was something else going on. But either way, he turned up in terrible condition and produced an all-time performance. And if you ask any professional athlete, have you ever done that? The turning up in bad condition, but like, have you felt nervous and then still played well? Yeah. Have you felt super confident and played shit? Yeah. So why do we connect them? Yeah. And half of it is, is decoupling it and saying, you're fine. You don't have to feel good. Just when you don't feel good, tune into the right things. It's spot on. Spot on. And it's such a, you know what, oh, thinking about it now, there's so much talk about how do you feel, mate? Like this is from coaches as well, yeah. which is probably 
not their fault because they need blokes like you and that's why you get paid well to go to these funny big franchises to say cut that out because we don't need to feel good. We just need to make sure that we know what our role is and execute it. Yeah, or, or sometimes it's it's valuable information. If you are vomiting before a game, I'd like to know so that I can either help you with your diet plan or we can adjust our game plan because <laughs> yeah. you might run out of legs. <laughs> yeah. And, and so they're, they're good questions to ask, but it's not that it's a bad thing where, how you feeling, man? I'm nervous. Good, you should be nervous. It's a fucking grand final, right? So it is a good question. Take yeah. that back. There you go. Oh, well, so it's an, it's just a conversation starter for me. I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily needing the info, but I'm not going to tell a coach not to ask it because usually, why do you reckon they're asking it? They just want to know a little bit about you, and because they're probably fucking nervous. Yeah, and that's the way they handle it. One of the things I was really keen to get out of you today was how do you relate all this back to the people? You know, the people, like the people. Meaning, we all people are people. You know, exactly. We're, we're not. We can't be athletes. You know, the dream's over. You know what I mean? I was thinking about. I was doing a bit of research, listening to you talk about more athletes uh-huh. and and the competitiveness. You were saying that stands out on one of these things I noticed on YouTube, right? And I was thinking, right, but how do I apply all this stuff that you've got in your brain and all the things you've learned to everyday life as no longer chasing a premiership, no longer chasing a ring, like just being in the real world, you know, living, trying to be the best human and person and the best version of yourself, right? How can you apply one of these principles that you're teaching athletes to everyday life? Well, that's that's actually the easiest way to say it is that people are people, right? So these are all humans that I work with and I'm lucky enough to work with some of, you know, Sam Kerr right now and, and she is the best in the world in what she does, but she's also a human Mm. And she has to deal with distractions and emotions, some of which are stronger and definitely more prominent. But inside, she's a human and she has the same circuitry as you, uh, for the most part. Yeah. Um, And the ability for anyone, so I I learned this by being drawn into, I I was amazed the first time I walked into this room with Navy SEALs, NASA astronauts, fighter pilots, heart surgeons, and I'm just coaching baseball at that point. I'm sitting there like, how? fucking cool is this, but also I do not belong here because I just w- work with athletes and if they screw up, they lose a contract, they go home, everyone's fine. You screw up, the patient dies or the space station blows up or we lose Afghanistan. Like, nah, I'll keep my part, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they're like, yeah, but internally it's the same thing. Your, your brain doesn't see what's happening. It just feels the chemical signals. So it thinks that you missing a free throw is the same level as threat of threat as kicking down that door and not knowing how many Taliban are behind it. And and so internally we're all the same and, and I'm dealing with people who have very public for the most part issues or if they're not public, they're private, but they could cost millions of dollars or could be incredibly damaging to their career. But again, if you're going in to present at work a PowerPoint for six people in a boardroom and it might get you a bit of a promotion, your brain knows no difference. In fact, your brain is probably more scared of that than shooting a free throw. Because you have excuses for missing the yeah. <laughs> and Whereas when you're in the, the boardroom, like, you got to nail that. And so in that moment, same principles apply. Where should your attention be? When you're good, when you've done your best presentations, where's your attention go? Um, what are the actions you focus on? And stop thinking about what you're thinking and stop wondering how you're feeling. Just do those things and maybe you'll be okay. Keep your five – Maybe it's a six, maybe it's a four. (laughs) Just pick however many you've got and have them in the front of your mind, you know? It's great. It's great. It's great advice. I mean, it's it's not like life-changing, but it's a great reminder that people, you know, keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Keep it fucking simple. It's it's pretty much saying present, isn't it? Being present. Absolutely. And dealing with, like, I I think the the catch with some of the – 
going back to the nerdy stuff, the cognitive behavioral things about feeling good and thinking, controlling your thoughts, is that most of that is usually an avoidance behavior. You're trying to avoid feeling bad, right? Instead of saying, I'm, I'm trying to move away from bad stuff. But in reality, when you have the best moments in your life, whether it's the best game of your life, best presentation in your life, best sex of your life, it's because you are moving towards something you want. You're not trying to like, I'm, I don't want to fuck up. I'm actually just like, wow, this is cool. I'm going to go do this thing. Even if I feel nervous, even if I have an injured ankle, even if the cat ate my homework, I'm going to go and do my thing. Even, that, yeah, yeah. Even even if you go to Vegas on your own and you don't know most of the group and you, you run into a few weapons, turn you just up and you turn go. up and you find a way, don't you? <laughs> you find a way. <laughs> oh, mate, that's brilliant. Well done. That, that, that's it's incredible insight. And I think um, we've gotten to you know I think we've we've taught everyone listening and watching, and we can't thank everyone enough for that. You know, for always tuning into this podcast. But I knew there'd be some gold here, and I just had to dig it out. Hey, I, I feel say, like you've taught them because you did the digging. <laughs> I've done I reckon I've dug out yeah. the We'll go with the five. The five. The Patrick Mahomes five. Did he say six in his article or six. five? It's Pat though. He's yeah, a, Patrick Mahomes. Better. If you want to be like Patrick at six, <laughs> he'll probably get six rings as well, that bloke. He's yeah, a machine. Um, before we, we move on to our, our, our lovely sponsors here, Ricks and Milwaukee Tools. Um, Love Ricks and Milwaukee. Athletes that you've worked with, who are the coolest ones? Like, they, like I've seen photos, you know, just on your Instagram or when I was researching, but like, you know, you're on the court with, I think it was Jimmy Butler and the and Embiid. I think you're guarding Embiid in a couple of photos. We're talking about probably the MVP this year mm-hmm. and Philly can go on and probably win it. You know, they're going to be right there. Um, I, you just spoke about um, being at Philly, you know, how much I love NFL and then, I don't know a lot about baseball, but there's a lot of people that do love their baseball and there are some superstars in that league. you got AFL, you got cricket in New Zealand. You're now dealing with Sam Kerr, who's a superstar, one of Aussie icons. All these people you deal with, obviously it's normal for you now, but have there been any pinch yourself moments where you go, okay, now this is like your old man might call you or your brother, Tommy might call you. How'd you go, mate? What'd you do today? Oh, I was just gardening and bead. <laughs> like that would have been a conversation that, down the track. That was actually like the, the air bead. Moment was yeah, occasionally I'm six six, so I can actually be on the court and not look ridiculous. Um, he made me look ridiculous, but uh, he makes everyone look ridiculous. Yeah, that's um, all right. But there, you know, that was I was just called in because one of the assistant coaches was out, and I happened that happened to me like I think two or three years to the day from the moment I sat with my brother who was doing a story on Ben Simmons because he works at sixty minutes. Big shout out to your brother. Who's big shout us. out to Tommy. Yeah, um, and. Uh, and I sat with him after he finished the interview with Simmons. We were sitting up in the nosebleeds and there was just something I had a feeling. I'm just like, I think I'm going to work in the NBA. I think I want to work in the NBA. I took a day off with the Blue Jays at that point just to meet my brother in New York. And then and I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just It just feels I should do this. And then it might have been two or three years later to the day I was guarding and beat on that court at Madison Square Garden. It was pretty surreal. But the most surreal for me was uh, we're in Miami um, I'm with the Sixers. We're playing in Miami and we get a um, – I can't even remember how it came up. But anyway, word gets around or it comes through me actually from – might have been our team security. Hey, um, Will Smith has asked if you want to go uh, with a couple of players to his – or if a couple of players want to go, but they're asking you because you're like the guy who works at that level with the guys. And I'm like – because <laughs> I, because as I said before, when I was thirteen, I wanted to be American. Borderline wanted to be Will Smith, watching Fresh Prince of Bel Air, watching the NBA, and all of a sudden I'm working in the NBA. And Will Smith, who's a minority owner of the Sixers, is doing he's recording Bad Boys for Life, I think, in Miami at that point. 
And so I go with Tobias Harris, Boban Marjanovic, and uh, no, that was my, no, there was one other player. I can't remember his name right now. And we end up going and sitting in Will's uh, trailer and just talking smack for, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, and I'm just sitting there like, this is surreal. This yeah. is like one of the most famous men on the planet. And I am a massive fan. I'm in awe. But I'm also like, oh, he's just a dude and he's asking these guys how they handle pressure. And they're asking him. And it's just like one of the coolest things yeah. I've, I've ever been just able to do. Just a pinch yourself moment. Yeah. That is awesome. Will Smith. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? That's what I love about America. Yeah, there's that many stories. Yeah, like, you're running, you're, I mean, how many stories can you, you – I reckon you create so many amazing memories, especially if you're on the piss well, and you've got some great contacts. <laughs> like you just find yourself in these scenarios. You know where you're what like, happens when you're on the piss? You say yes to more things, right? <laughs> yeah. And this have, this has happened a couple of times. The the, uh, the Philly example, right? I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have been working in the NFL if I didn't say yes to something I thought was ridiculous. The Will Smith thing, it's an obvious yes. I end up getting invited to speak at something – where a NASA, the, the the chief flight officer for NASA International Space Station is in the audience. She comes up and says, are you ever in Houston? If, you, if you're if you in Houston, can you come by? <laughs> yeah, all right. I, don't, I mean, it's NASA. It's cool. It'd be a good story, but whatever. I end up controlling part of the International Space Station. Like I'm on a joystick. There's a photo and a video of me being like, <laughs> is that actually moving? I'm looking at the earth using this thing that I'm moving on. And there's just these sorts of things that only happen, and this is why occasionally getting drunk with people who you're comfortable with is okay because <laughs> you say yes to things, yeah. and, it, and it leads to adventures, sometimes not good, but most of the time if you're with good people, it's good. It's always good. It's always good, mate. It is always good. Oh, that, that is awesome. Will Smith stories, um, that's incredible. I didn't know he was a part owner of the Sixers. Didn't know yeah. that. Didn't yeah, know that. He's, he's been for a while, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, mate, I don't think I've uh, – this is – this, this, I don't think I've seen a pair of ricks on your head. Maybe you stole mine when we were poolside. I probably did, actually. These are the- Because you always look so cool in <laughs> I think I lost all my pairs of sunnies over there. Uh, Tribeca Crystal Grey, uh, the grey polarised lenses. They are yours, my friend. All of right. uh, They're from Rick's Eyewear. For everyone out, out there, you know the deal. Right. Go to rickseyewear.com.au and use the discount code ACES. If you want to look like Paddy- um, who's going to be rolling into Will Smith's uh, after party at the next Sixers game. The Tribeca Crystal Grey is what you're wearing. This is, this is what I needed when uh, we were on day two or day three <laughs> of, of when the you were wedding ca- party that what, we keep talking about. What was that nightclub that we were really enjoying ourselves? I do um, not remember, uh, I, I, for good reasons. I, I'm trying to think. because oh, I've had a few messages. I don't know why they're messaging me. They should be messaging Brown Dog. G'day, Trano. Um, saw that, you know, you're talking about Vegas. Where should we go? I'm thinking, mate, I just I, followed the pack. Exactly. I followed the crowd and I ended up um, – I, I believe you might have been my saviour in that I, I did. It was a and couple I needed of these the next day. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they are, they are very good. Do yeah. I look as cool as you, you now? You look cool, mate. You, yeah. look, I, you should never ask me. I always think people look really cool, especially when they're rocking your own sunglasses. <laughs> but they do look cool. And the Tribeca, they're one of our best frames. Good colour. Yeah, Crystal. Like when you're wearing a black suit, I can already visualise you at the uh, Socceroos or Matildas or whatever, just on the on the bench pre-game with the ball under your foot with the sunnies on. You know what? If the World Cup that's coming up for the women wasn't in the middle of winter, I'd wear them to a game. <laughs> but no, you know what? I will anyway. You can always wear them. In America, they wear them courtside. Can you, can you do this? Is, or am I just showing how old I am? No, nah, you got to leave them on just for two more seconds, okay. but you can. You can wear them. I just want to ask you, you've travelled well. We do a segment here, Rick's in Retirement, um, which is all about fake money. So like, we don't want money to be an issue here. I want to give everyone an insight on if you, Patty, were to retire in the world, where's the one place you would retire if money wasn't an issue and take your Rick's eyewear with you and why? Wow. Um, yeah. 
there, I mean, there's a few. I, I like to say I, I don't have favourites. I have top fives, but I'm not going to ruin your segment by going <laughs> through a top, top five. Two, top two, maybe. Top two. All right, if I wanted to stay within reach of civilization, Manhattan Beach in California is a spot that I've got a soft spot for because it's like still within reach of, of the LA and the New York life, but you're sitting on the, one of the most pristine, longest beaches and it's very well-kept area. But if I was really escaping um, and I was just going to kick back somewhere, the best – beach I've ever been on is a place called Zanzibar, uh, just off the coast of Africa. Okay. Went there after the World Cup in uh, 2010 and uh, and very much needed a recovery at that point. Mm-hmm. And this place is just spectacular. It's like white powder beaches. Um, it's got an old town that looks like it's from Africa. It's got a new town that looks like it's Europe. It's got a new train of backpacking people coming through every week. Like, what more can you ask for if you're going to kick back and do nothing for the rest of your life? That is, I've never heard of it. Do yourself a favor. It's in. It's an island of Tanzania or Tanzania, as they call it there. That's that's special. This is what I love about this segment. Um, everyone's got a different spot, and they they. I mean, even the last two or three, I've never heard of. I should just. I should. I was just thinking. I might have just made that up. <laughs> I, no, can, I should can start. You, can you get on Wikipedia and add that to the? <laughs> I should start yeah. writing all these down because I think our hit list with the Rickson retirement hit list, um, besides from one bloke, some bloke said something horrendous in the country, and we looked at him and said, "Surely not." Was it JK saying a cushion? <laughs> no, I can't remember what JK said. He might have said a chuka. <laughs> no, you know JK wouldn't settle in a chuka. <laughs> um, you can take them off, mate. Thank you for playing uh, along with that one. And our friends at Milwaukee. They're uh, they're so good and they're so kind. And again, you don't come on here empty-handed, big fella. No, I know you're this still is so good. I need this. Yeah, well, you get this. And I was thinking, if you were flying to the airport today, that's why I called you. I said, mate, you're not going to hire a car or something. I know you're going back to um someone's for dinner afterwards. Milwaukee have given you the pruning saw tool only there, and you got the starter pack um, over there with the charges, the superchargers, that is. So you're ready to go. You can uh, get to work um, at mum and dad's and, and maybe look after the uh, the hedges or whatever you need to do in the backyard. But, mate, when it comes to tools, how handy are you? you do you pretty, go all right? Pretty not. Pretty not <laughs> handy. I, I have lived in uh, in enough apartments and hotels, like particularly with all the travel you've heard about, uh, going around with these teams, I don't. I'm not at home very often, so when I'm home, I'm not wasting time fixing shit <laughs> yeah, up too much. I don't blame you. I'm like, I'm going out to eat. I don't cook and I don't fix my house. I get people to do that for me. Yeah, I'm with you, mate. Yeah. Oh, we were just chatting before. If I've got an my issue, my dad will hate hearing. That. <laughs> oh, mate, I, all I, those lessons. <laughs> I think I changed. I, I shouldn't say I think I did. It was a bit of this, you know, a bit embarrassed. But I changed my first tire about three weeks ago. And my old man, How'd you go? I did well, mate. It's not that hard, but I, I just <laughs> never had to do it. And I, okay, my old man, oh mate, you wouldn't believe it. I've, I fucked me tire and all that. So it was actually leaving my apartment. So it was actually underneath. So it was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, man, it wasn't that hard. But what he was doing and he was stressing out and talk about the five things on his finger. I'll tell you, he's thinking about belting me as he's six. Like, that was coming to number one, man. one through five. Yeah, he was forgetting how to unscrew the tire. <laughs> well, jab or hook yeah. first. He was thinking about how he's going to belt me because I had so many questions, you know, like, what do you do here? And he's like, mate, just fucking leave it. Just unwind this. And anyway, I'm changing the tire with him. And and as he's doing it, he's on his back, you know, he's on his back and he's because my Jeep's got this little tire is underneath the back of it. And he goes, just keep fucking winding it because it wouldn't drop out and you've got to unclip it or whatever. And as he's doing it, 
went on, I'm not really doing much because I only really a one-man job. And I said, mate, you should be ashamed of yourself. Your son, I'll go, your son, which is me, I'm fucking hopeless, but I'm only a product of my father. You know? <laughs> Whack. He went, oh, he wasn't happy. He goes, mate, you're fucking tits on a bull, you're fucking hopeless, mate. I've tried to teach you when you're a young fella. You wouldn't listen. You wouldn't listen. But I actually don't reckon growing up, I just, I don't know, my old man was always like, I'll fucking do it, mate. I'll do it. So there's a bit of that. But yeah. also I reckon there is a – I don't reckon – no, I have used a chainsaw once, but I, I don't think there was often things to fix because I also I had three brothers. So I'd yeah. be like, oh, what about – I did it last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's his turn. Oh, yeah, right, actually. It reminds me. They, they looked after me so well. I didn't really have to fix anything either. Um, but back to this Milwaukee tool, um, the handiest moment of your career, can you think of back to – you know, you've got you've you got a really cool story, and we could do another podcast when you're back. I just really wanted to dive into what you're doing and some of the people you've worked with. But we could go back to talk about you know footy and 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 all those journeys you've gone on from study and and how you found your feet. But is there been a moment where, like a pivotal moment, like a hand, one of the handiest moments, a Milwaukee tour handiest moment, where you're like, fuck, that got me the that that door opened up, like that that was me, like that gave me the you know the opportunity to do this, and and when you reflect, you go, that actually kickstarted my career. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a couple, but I would say um, the one that jumps out right now is every off-season when I was either playing late in my playing career or working in the AFL, I would go to America because I loved it. And it was a tax write-off as long as I visited one sports team, right? Paul Connors, that, man. I don't think he believes my age. Hey, PC was looking after me at one point. I'm sure he did it. <laughs> well, geez, I don't Maybe he just doesn't want you to leave. <laughs> well, then he gave me the spray for spending or however much money I did. <laughs> I don't think they could have right. <laughs> um, I, uh, I would go over there and if, as long as I visited a college and pretended it was a, you know, I'm learning, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then tax write-off. That's where I went wrong. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. You were learning different stuff. <laughs> that was dumb. <laughs> and so I would do that and, and every time I went it would get more and more like oh wow I can go over there and I ended up being at uh, USC and I'd go to the colleges I ended up going to and so that was very helpful that was handy but probably the most handy if I lead into how I actually somehow a white guy from suburban Melbourne ended up being a shit enough at AFL to get out early (laughs) but then also landing in, in America and working in all these places we've just spoken about is because one of the spots I ended up visiting was Oregon uh, University of Oregon up in um, in Eugene, Oregon. And I went there mostly because the Nike factory was there and I could get some cool shit. <laughs> um, but also, oh, I've got, to get, I've got to write it off as a tax thing, so I'll see if I can get into Oregon football. Somehow, through a connection, in fact, it was Michael Regan who used to head up Catapult Sports. Um, we went to the same high school. I knew he was working over there. I was like, hey, you got any fun in Oregon? He goes, yeah, matter of fact, we're at Oregon football. I'll go and meet with their chief of staff, who's basically Chip Kelly's right-hand man. Get along well. We talk about talk shop, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I go back home. Two years later, they fire Sando at Adelaide. I get a buyout of the rest of my contract and I'm over in America doing studying in Philadelphia. And then Chip Kelly is, oh, well, maybe I'll ring that guy and see if, you know, what's going on. And so it was more, uh, I don't know, it's not handy in the terms of I created something physical like the great Milwaukee tools will help me do. <laughs> but it definitely built a, a, a a very, very small avenue for me to run through. And luckily enough, I was able to fit and off it went. That is, that is. That's a, a dap right that there. Is, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that is elite. And it's so funny how I think a lot of people do say that. Just say yes. Just say yes. Have a coffee with that person. You never know where it can go. And all of a sudden he's the, he's a coach of Philly and <laughs> you're in front of a hundred people. Uh, Big awesome. people. 
Oh yeah, big, 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 plenty of ego. Yeah, big man. Um, mate, thank you so much for mate, your time. For it's been me. great to see you as well. I'm sorry about the beers. I I must shout out Jordan Taylor. The, the, I'll say the son of BT. You hate hearing that. He's a great friend of mine. He come around at Super Bowl. He left them in my fridge, so I thought I'd get them out today and absolute <laughs> stitch up. And then you've cracked it. <laughs> absolute stitch up. He's clearly done this as a time bomb. He shook them before he put them in the fridge, thinking that you would get it. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's karma for stealing his beers. But um, yeah, I thought I'd bring in four beers and we'd have one each or two each. And, and yeah, luckily, I was uh, sensible and I said, "Look, this is a work thing, <laughs> and I'm not going to do that." But let's open it up to air it out so that when it comes to 5 p.m. on a Friday, which it is, yep. then, uh, then I'm allowed to do it. Yep, Friday knockoffs and uh, what the can do, it, it's exploded all over the rolling it, media van. He was as excited as I was when I walked in here. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Braden's not happy with me. That's the first spillage in this elite van. It smells like a good Richmond pub, though. <laughs> it smells like Vegas day four at the uh, doghouse. <laughs> um, mate, thanks so much for your time. Uh, as I said, when you're back again, we'll do this. Um, hopefully, we'll see you. I'm actually going to New York for my 30th, uh, 28th of October, yeah, with Look the family. Out. So you'll be there, won't you? Well, October, I, I should be able to be there at that point. Yeah. There's, a, there's a heavy period coming up in terms of uh, soccer work right now. Um, NBA, NFL off-seasons are, you know, a bit of breathing room, but by the time that rolls around, Yep. America will be cranking. You'll be right in time for yeah. But it's a family trip, and I said family. And the old man, sixty four. I thought, where can I take the old boy and really show him what I've been talking about the last ten years? I have to give you a so call. Just New York City. Uh, yeah, we're in New York, but I'm going to try plan to get to some stuff and catch up with some people over there. Hopefully, we can do some podcasts um, with some American athletes yeah. while I'm there. Yeah, and maybe get the trailer. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. Braden's looking. Can, pretty, how do you get this to America? I don't know. I don't know if we can drive it to uh, to New York, but we could do something, can't we, Braden? An RV over there. Yeah, I would have thought that this thing is so magic it could fly. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's a special van. This, if we could just teleport it there, it'd be special. But mate, thank you so much again. Thank you so much to everyone that tunes in uh, weekly. These podcasts are, um, you know, the reason that they're so fun is the guests, but also people that write in and 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 message us and tell us what they love about it. So then, when I can ask the right questions, thank you to everyone that that tunes in and uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already, um, and we'll uh, we'll catch you on the next one. But um, Paddy, thanks so much, brother. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to another episode of Tommy Talks, where you literally can't thank you enough for all your support. Speaking of support. Milwaukee's MX Fuel equipment system revolutionizes the light equipment market by delivering the performance and durability demanded by the trades. From the MX Fuel cutoff saw and MX Fuel sewer machine to the MX Fuel power supply and the MX Fuel tower light, MX Fuel has you covered without the hazards associated with emissions, noise, vibration, and the frustrations of petrol maintenance. MX Fuel equipment system. Equipment redefined. Righto, we'll see you on the next podcast.